welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LIDAC, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we welcome Renee Borg to the podcast studio. Renee is a principal at 16500, which is a manufacturer's rep out in the San Francisco Bay Area. They cover the metropolis that is tech city and let's face it a lot of pretty cool architecture innovation and uh, some interesting requirements around not only earthquakes but legislation in california and the desire to be environmentally friendly renee you've been in the industry since may 19th 1995 yet this is the first time but not the last time you'll join us on the light pod welcome to it how are you doing i'm doing great sam so good to have you here there's so much that we could talk about you have an incredible history you've seen so much but today it's time to talk about specifiers who are they what purpose do they serve and why do they freaking matter more now than ever there's a lot going on in our industry they have a lot of power for good reason and they have a lot of opportunity to push us all in the right direction before we dive into that though tell everybody Who's Renee, and how did you get your start in lighting? I got my start in lighting in Chicago, Illinois. I wanted to be in a sales role, and I faxed a resume to Lightelier Genlight. I got an interview, and they relocated me. Years later, I learned that uh, they hired me because I went to the University of Colorado. Go Buffs! Go Buffs! And at that time, I didn't even know there was an architectural lighting program. And they assumed I applied because I went to the architectural lighting program. (laughs) That's a first. We haven't had that on the podcast yet. I like that. So you faxed a resume over. We could talk about that for a while, but I'll spare the details of how much technology has evolved since then. Lightelier was your first stop uh, in this wonderful career in lighting. Tell us where you went from there. Let's see. After Lightelier, I... uh, Relocated to Denver, Colorado, and then worked for a small little showroom in Colorado Springs. And then after that, I joined Targetti North America and worked for them out of Santa Ana, California for a short period of time. And then uh, decided I wanted to work for a U.S.-based manufacturer and was hired on with Lithonia Lighting. And I spent nearly 19 years there in a variety of roles. And then about three years ago, I joined the team at 16500. I think it's fair to say you have a lot of cool experience. You have a lot of different experience. And if you kind of meld into your variety and experience as a professional and the timeline that this has all happened in, it's been very interesting. Most recently, joining an agency three years ago. The world was a different place three years ago. How we went to work every day, if we went to work today, where we worked, and kind of what the status quo was in terms of engaging with people was very, very different. And you went to a company where that's one of the primary responsibilities in terms of creating relationships and getting out and knowing your customer firsthand and seeing them and talking to them. And, uh, you know, kaboom, everything changed. And here we are sitting back here talking about all of it like it's over, but it's definitely not. When you look at what's going on in the landscape of lighting specification today, there's a lot of people that I would argue are specifying lighting and not all of them are maybe in the traditional sense, a specifier, a designer, but a lot of them are. And there's a little bit of a question around, you know, what's the merit behind a spec and why does a spec exist? Talk to me a little bit about the fundamental nature of what it means to specify something or why that has to happen. 
to create beautiful environments that produce memorable experience for those of us that are in those spaces. But at the end of the day, like, can't anyone just do that? Why don't people just pick stuff out? Technology has evolved and it enables a lot of different outcomes, right? Somebody has to be responsible to ensure they're compatible and they deliver the environment somebody wants. How often do you walk into a space today where you see a variety of color temperatures? Not very often. Right. Yeah. So it's somebody had to have the wherewithal to put that together. So it's important that there's a baseline of education Mm -hmm. behind whoever's specifying it. There's a reason that when someone says, I want a space or I want something, if they don't quite know what to do, and it's in a commercial application specifically, they hire someone to help them with it. That's where the interesting part of the conversation starts. There's all these consultants, there's all these people who are professionals who are hired to specify stuff. But the specification nature isn't the only thing they do. Some might say it's the end result. Some might say it's like the halfway point of a design process. When you look at what's going on in the spec world today and what they're required to do in order to understand how to specify something, why does that matter so much right now? Emerging technologies, supply chain challenges, the number of manufacturers that have come out of the woodwork over the last 10 years, the amount of import business, compatibility issues, legislation. And these are all things that the spec community has to understand. Yeah, subject matter expertise so that they ensure they deliver that beautiful environment. When you think about understanding all these things that bolt into their project, there's also an opportunity for them to understand the project specifically like the requirements around what it is they need, what that owner needs, why they need what they need, where it's coming from, how it's getting there. Is it sustainable? Is it not? You think about all of the things that go into creating that opportunity, that opportunity to put something on a project. I'm going to take lighting out of the conversation and I'm going to replace lighting with a, not a word, your word, widgets. Specifiers basically say, hey, there's a bunch of widgets that's got to, that have to go in a building and they got to work together. Lighting's literally just one of many of those things, right? We're not talking about just lighting specification here. We're talking about specification of everything. When it comes to understanding all of these widgets, you mentioned there's bigger, more underlying factors that can control the situation of a project. When you look at products specifically, talk to me about what's going on in the world of widgets. There's lots of options for widgets today. There's um, a lot of requests for substitution, right? Oftentimes people are presented with substantial um, cost savings, increasingly important today given supply chain challenges, um, energy conservation, a lot of intangible costs come about for everybody on that project for re-evaluation, potential redesign, lots of considerations. When you think about the cost of these widgets, there's always been kind of a dynamic pricing model. A specifier has an obligation to try and understand that. Yet there's so many things, especially in today's market, that are making it more variable than maybe we can even keep ourselves on top of. Transit costs, logistic costs, packaging costs, availability. Because all that stuff isn't fixed. And these companies that make all these things aren't set up to just absorb it. Somebody has to figure out all this stuff. A specifier might or might not be the obvious person to do that based on the role traditionally of a specifier. Talk to me a little bit about the evolution of really what specifiers are being asked to take on today as opposed to maybe what they did even just three or five years ago. Constant revisions, those submittals, right? 
they are accountable with the help of channel partners to uh, ensure they're meeting the deliverables of their contract documentations, but also ensuring that if there are substitutions, that they're compatible, that they're going to deliver the same experience, that they can be coordinated timely with other trades, that they meet warranty requirements, consistent, acceptable to the owner. I mean, you just listed off like 10 different things that are taken into consideration when it comes to a spec, and that's just on the widget itself let alone why that widget is what they're using and where it's going in the space and how it's supposed to perform. I mean, the list kind of just goes on and on and on and on. There's a term out there like generic spec, like just give me your generic spec or, you know, just give me your linear, just give me your favorite slaughter, just give me your favorite downlight. Whose job is it to specify that today? Whose job is it to say like, no, this actually not equal. And are those people being supported to be able to do that when they need to? Today, there's probably more substitution for cause, right? Because of supply chain and project conditions, the unavailability of components necessary for finished good assembly of products, regulatory changes, especially in the Western U.S., how they're working on network systems. And I think substitutions for cause maybe need to be addressed differently than substitutions for convenience where it's just a proposal by a channel partner that might be nice to meet project requirements and may offer some sort of advantage to a channel partner or an owner. And I think when we're looking at substitutions for convenience, the specifier needs to be compensated for that. And I want to define both of these terms just a little bit more. Substitution for cause, simple example, not available. Can't get what you said we should use. Substitution for convenience might imply it's available, but... There's another option, perceived as equal to. So can we do this? And that typically tends to unpack a lot of questions, create in some instances momentum in the wrong direction, or in some cases result of a straight design intent or you know an opportunity to just literally derail something because it's not. But someone thought for one reason better, for worse it was. You mentioned specifiers need to be compensated for that. That's implying they're not today. Talk to me a little bit more about what's going on there. Billable hours. The workforce has changed. A lot of people are remote. Schedules are compressed. They're asked to do more in a shorter period of time and produce the same beautiful experience and environment for the owner. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that you're being asked to do more for less. No one would really ever want to do that, quite frankly. Yet the spec community, I I won't say they're being forced to, but it's just kind of naturally gravitating that way. They're in a position where they can't really say no, because who else is going to do it? Well, the answer is someone else, but then it's not going to be your spec anymore. But their name's still on the drawings. Their stamp's still on the drawings. Their firm is still on that work when it's done. And that's a reputation. I mean, most people don't get a a job because they don't have a portfolio, right? Most people get a job because they know what they're doing. Most people get a job because they have an idea or something that they can reference, or they have a, a creative energy around it with something to exemplify why they're worth the consulting fee. I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk just a little bit more about what's going on in terms of not only specifiers needing to be at the center of it all more now than ever, but what they can do to continue to support themselves and increase their phase based on what the value is that they truly do provide. Sound good? Mm-hmm. 
And welcome back. Over the break, Renee Wirt and I were catching up a little bit more, not only about the value of specification, but you know how it always kind of comes full circle. Whether or not there's one opportunity to specify something, put something out there and say, this is what we need. And then there's an opportunity to either substitute it or there's a need to substitute it or quite simply put the project scope changes or what needs to happen changes in terms of the final deliverable or design mission. It all comes back to that design intent, that individual or that group that's kind of outlining, hey, this is what we would specify, or this is what we are specifying. Renee, when you look at the grand scheme of all of this, there's fees associated with everything, right? Nobody gets anything for free, whether you think so or not. Specifiers have the truest intent of trying to create the best outcome on a project given all of the circumstances, which we talked about in the first half of this podcast. Right now, I want to talk just a little bit more about how it's so important that we as an industry value those individuals and those companies and those businesses that do that. Because like I said, as an owner, you're paying for it, whether you know it or not. So why not pay that person, that individual or that group that started with it? Talk to me just a little bit more about what it means to look at that spec community, what it means to understand that they can, they should, and they will always have the power to ask to be compensated for their time. Yeah, if they value themselves and the quality of work they deliver, they should. As you mentioned, there are many different circumstances on all types of projects that may require additional work to review and approve those changes. I don't think there's one answer for who absorbs that cost. It's circumstantial. But I do think that um, we'd be remiss if we didn't run the course of the project and deliver what the customer wants and that oversight to ensure quality is there and then people should be compensated for that work. It's easy to say that people should be compensated for their work and their time. However, often they're not. You mentioned earlier that there's compression on time. People are being asked to do more for less and this is a big part of that. They're being rushed to just simply get a spec out the door. They're being rushed to coordinate things or maybe say, we'll coordinate it in the field because we don't have time. There's a lot of things that drive a rushed schedule, namely like what it costs to build a building today. (laughs) And the faster you can build it, faster people can occupy it, the faster you can start recouping that initial investment, that return on investment. But there's kind of a tipping point where if you don't do the right things for your space, just because you got to the finish line doesn't mean it's going to work out the way you wanted it to. When you talk about specification and having to change that spec because a circumstance has changed, we talked about either cause or convenience earlier. Talk to me a little bit more about whether there's any real difference of evaluating the specification, whether it is cause or convenience, or is that just a circumstantial thing that happens every day now? I think more now than ever, it happens every day, especially with supply chain, especially with emerging technology, component shortages. Probably more reason for why we have to be cognizant of that, all channel partners, right? I think you said it best when you have an intent for 2,000 lumens of light. Do you want it in a one-inch package or a four-inch package? Maybe you don't like the four-inch package, so don't look at it. You're going to have the right light on the surface. (laughs) Somebody's accountable for that decision. And somebody had a vision to create an environment and an experience with the right light output and the right aesthetics. Somebody should be responsible and somebody should be compensated to review and deliver what the intent of the project was. When you think about the responsibility that comes along with that. I think it's shared responsibility. It can shift, right? Mm -hmm. Channel partners are a big part of it all. Just because 
something has to change doesn't mean it has to go all the way back to one person and they're the only person that can say yes or no. Getting to work with a team, getting to work with a community, getting to know people and being able to help them make these decisions can be a big part of compensating them for their time. Absolutely. It doesn't have to just fundamentally be, well, yeah, we'll pay you by the hour to do this and good luck. It's, hey, this needs to change. Here's why. Here are the reasons this may be a good option. Here are the things that actually are different. Is that acceptable? Because just because there's 22 options on some form of a specification doesn't mean every one of them are critical to the project. They did have to pick an option for each, so to speak, empty bucket to fill the bucket all the way up. But, you know, no, like it's really important that it stays four inches, but we actually don't really care if it's, you know, painted a different color because it's going to be hiding anyways or we're gonna paint over it anyways, right? Sometimes there are things that don't necessarily matter, but there are things that do matter. And to assume that is very difficult. That's where channel partnership comes in, right? Preparing product data, including drawings, descriptions, helping evaluate the product, the fabrication, if there's something special with installation. It's a team. It's definitely a team, especially when it comes to what you said earlier, emerging technologies. There's so much that's changing right now in lighting. Forget about lighting and talk about lighting controls, or maybe we can just call it a lighting system at this point. So that's basically what we're dealing with in 2022. When you think about the systematic nature of lighting and lighting controls coming together, coordination, 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 coordination at every single level from where it's being installed to whether or not it's quote compatible, who even knows what that word means. Does it all have to be proprietary from one manufacturer? Does it all have to be open protocol? Does it all have to plug into one place? Do people have to define a specific system that then will only work with that system? And these are the things that you know need to be integrated together to make it happen. And then, oh, by the way, it all needs to change. I mean, I mean, specification is so detail-oriented when it comes to those things. When you look at what you're observing in your market, when you look at what you're observing across really the entire country from a technological transformation. Why is specification something that we really not only need to rely on, but we need to encourage people to take the time to do and to support those channel partners to make that happen. Yeah, I think as we start to see systems unify and greater demand for compliance for ESG reporting, we need to understand responsibilities you know, at the project level. I mean, every project's circumstantial, but what is the duties of the electrical contractor? What are the duties of the mechanical? What are the duties of the systems integrator? Who has final review and oversight for compatibility? We think about so many systems today that infrastructure enables technology towers, so you can bolt on feature sets as the needs of the environment evolve. Data is becoming critically important. Who's in the facility? Where did they go? What are they doing? You know, how do we optimize? heating and cooling and lighting. As California moves to adopt outcome-based building codes, this becomes critically more important. You mentioned that we're setting foundations for things to bolt onto. Mm-hmm. I've got to imagine um, we want everything to be universal, but it's not. So how much of a role does a specifier play today in not only saying, hey, here are the widgets we need, but understanding you know, the future interoperability of things? A lot. And where do they start? I mean, how can people figure this stuff out? I think it's the reason why places like Litai exist, Sam. (laughs) You deliver great content. I can't take credit for all of that. Maybe like one video out of every 200. But I think it 
to your point at the end of the day, we need education and understanding proof of concept, right? People need to be able to touch and feel and experience what they're going to deliver. Everybody learns different. And I think about the amount of technology over just the last 36 months that have launched, how we engage, how we demonstrate that, how we educate has changed. We're very much in a virtual workspace. Not only are we in a virtual workspace, we're in an on-demand workspace. Mm. And whatever's on that first search engine result page, right? It's like, how many people ever go to page two of the Google search results? Uh, yeah, no one. And if you're listening and you do, I'm sorry. That's awesome. <laughs> Call me and tell me all about it. I haven't been to page two in a long time. Why? Because it works. Because Google serves you the response you're looking for, gives you access to that information. Yet there's all this information out there and it becomes you know, confusing and convoluted to a certain extent that people aren't necessarily quite sure what's going on. And they're specifying stuff and they're substituting stuff and information is misconstrued across the fact that this mattered, but no, that's actually what mattered. But they're just looking it up and figuring it out on their own. It's not true. It's not what's going on. This is a complex uh, industry. Buildings are complex things. And specification and specification integrity is really what will continue to drive the best and most positive outcomes. When you look at where you feel like specification is soaring today, give me an example. Or maybe I should say, give me an example of where you wish it could get better. I think you said it best when you said interoperability or compatibility. I think we should never have to compromise the creative influence the specifier has. And we need OEM partners to do more, better, faster, to enable all the different luminaire lines out there so that specifiers can do their job to create beautiful environments that provide memorable experiences for the people that occupy them. Every single day. Every single day. And it's important that the channel supports that, that they understand that, that they value it, and they stand up for it. Renee, I think there's a lot to unpack here, but you've left us with some pretty cool things to think about in terms of what does it mean to look at the specification as not only an opportunity to empower a project and make it what it is, but also support it all the way through. As you look at your business today, it's 16500. You guys are a local rep agency in San Francisco, and you're expected to not only contribute to that market in terms of supporting it with your manufacturing partners, but also calling on these specifiers and then servicing everybody that they have to work with through the channel, the distributors, the contractors, so on and so forth, who in some way, shape or form also can end up being specifiers given the project or the circumstances. Sam, we want to do the things we say we're going to do when we say we're going to do them every time. Sometimes that's challenging in today's environment. But it's super important. Yeah, super yeah. important. That's that partnership. Having a foundation where partnership is is the reason you're there. The reason you want to be there, not you have to be there, is core. Renee, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Thanks for helping me shine a little bit of a light on the specification community from someone who, well, isn't really in it, but supports it every day. I think it's, <laughs> it's important to get perspectives outside of it. Right? It's important to reflect on it, not only as a rep, but as a manufacturer, as a manufacturer's representative in any other sort of supporting role. The built environment's important. A lot of us spend a lot of hours in those buildings. I don't know what you're talking about. We're sitting in the middle of a park right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Thanks for joining me in the LightPod studio. It's been a blast to have you here. I appreciate you making the trip to Denver. If anybody has any questions, if they want to chat with you a little bit more about this, What's the best way they can get in touch with you? Call 16500. Call 16500 and ask for Renee. She'd be happy to chat with you. Renee, hang in there. We'll talk to you soon.
Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Light Pod. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode where we talk to people about all things lighting who have inspirational and thought-provoking conversations to share. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.